All right, guys, it's time for the next Level Guy Show, a men's interview, interest, and improvement-focused podcast featuring interviews with the greats from all industries to help you better your life. Each week, a new episode features an interview with one of the greats, covering all aspects of their story, from life hacks to tips and protocols that have allowed them to live life on the next level. We then highlight concrete action steps that you can use to improve your life. And now, your host, Ian Dawson McKay. And today's guest is David Jackson. David is a master instructor with the Oxygen Advantage, working now as a breathwork coach. He's a former professional rugby player, accredited UKSCA strength and conditioning coach, NAMS performance enhancement and corrective exercise specialist, and he's on a mission to make breathwork a normal part of our everyday lives. Having retrained his own breathing after a brain injury in 2013 forced him to retire from professional rugby, He's become passionate about helping others change the way they breathe to improve the way they feel, move and perform. He believes that in breathwork there is something for everyone. Having worked with professionals seeking better stress management or those suffering with anxiety to professional athletes looking to improve performance and everything in between. David knows how your breath can impact all areas of your body and mind which is why he is so passionate about helping others use breathwork to fulfil their true potential. Having felt the benefits personally, he wants it to share with others. Please note, there is a short couple of minutes where there's not the greatest of sound quality, so apologies, but it soon rectifies. In this interview, we discuss how your breathing affects your health as a whole, why breath work can be a secret sauce to win more, think better and live healthier, how to level up your breathing right now, and so much more. And now, let's get to the interview. But for people who you know maybe don't recognise the name, how would you introduce yourself and what you do? Because you've been a rugby star and now you're shaping lives with the breathing, etc. But how how do you sell who you are to somebody? Um, well, I, I played I played professional rugby. To sell as a rugby star is is definitely a step too far if you ask anyone that I played with. Um, but <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean my snapshot of me um david jackson a lot of people know me as jacko that was my nickname when i played rugby um i'd i'd played 13 years of professional rugby um and had a brain injury in 2013 that ended that um i then sort of retrained in personal training strength and conditioning started to learn an awful lot more about um the body um i've always loved coaching and so sort of going into a coaching realm utilizing still um, experiences from sport was 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 a bit of a, a passion, but I've always loved science as well. I've got a, my sort of education background is like I did materials engineering at Loughborough University. Um, and when I was looking at ways to continue my rehabilitation from my brain injury, exploring the effects that head injuries have on your breathing and dysfunctional breathing patterns that when I sort of did the assessments, it was like, Yes, I. I mean, I, I. I came up as a um, a severe asthmatic on some of the tests, and I was like, I've never had asthma in my life. And and at that point, I was felt reasonably fit. I was running like a twenty minute five k, um, 
which is you know breaks no world records, but it was like an all right pace for a, for a five k of a, a, an old guy that's finished playing rugby. And um, but I just felt like there was still some work to do. I felt I mean the way I describe it is it felt like I had the handbrake slightly on in the car, and it was like I'm moving, but like there's something in the background holding me back, and something in the background sort of hmm, breathing this this started coming up it started to become a bit more popular and i was looking at it going like well it ticks that box like it's it's going on in the background um and you do that many repetitions of it you know you do 20 to twenty-five thousand repetitions and i was thinking of relating that to like something in the gym like squats and you go well if i did twenty-five thousand bad squats even if i didn't have any weight on that'd be bad for my knees like what's that doing to my body if my how do i know it started asking these questions like well, how do I know if I'm doing a good rep or a bad rep when I'm talking about my breath? And so I started to explore it and then, yeah, got down the rabbit hole with the Oxygen Advantage, fell in love with, literally fell in love with Patrick McKeon from the Oxygen Advantage, did my, tra- <laughs> did my training with him. Um, and, uh, yeah, sort of the effect it had on me and then just combined with my, um, I guess I feel when I'm coaching, it f- coaching feels very natural to me. Uh, coaching and mentoring and so that's a role that I've been able to play um with the Oxford Vantage now and to and to actually answer your question which is how do I describe what I do now I describe it as um we we look at or we, we try to improve or change the way that you breathe to improve the way you feel move and perform and that's literally because the breath is part of a lot of these autonomic systems within the body and influences things like your heart rate, your blood pressure, your autonomic nervous system, <clears throat> so your hormonal system, then it literally can do those things. But it's the one of those systems that's easiest for us to just choose to do something with. You know, I, I describe it like this to a lot of people when I'm trying to simplify things. And, I, and I'm simplifying things just literally for myself. Like, can I, how simple can I make it for me to understand? And that seems to help other people. Um, like I'm a, I'm a fairly simple guy. It's one of the things I like about breathing is it's so simple yet the benefits or the implications of it or the impacts of it are quite profound or quite impactful, but it's simple to do. So that's a, that's a winning, that's a winning formula for me. It's simple, but it has quite a big impact. Um, so yeah, I say that you either in life, we complicate life a lot of the time to try and make ourselves, I complicate life or I try to make my um and this will resonate with some people others will be like no that's not me but um we, we try to make ourselves feel more important by the stories and narratives that we that we tell of how important i must do this next thing but when you break life down to the simplicity of breathing you're either breathing in breathing out or holding your breath you aren't ever doing anything else you you might be doing something as well as one of those three things but you're never not doing one of those three things because otherwise you're dead. You know, life is your breath. You can have food, you can have water, but if you haven't got your breath, then you're dead. So, and that's not morbid. That's not me being morbid or anything. That's just being like, just, it's just true. It's just, it's just, that's just how it is. And I personally quite like the simplicity of that and going, okay, well, everything else is just like additional stuff. I'm just throwing on top that makes things complicated. Um, and when you you have the opportunity and you have the choice to let it work on autopilot, which is great because it means you can't be thinking about your breathing 24 hours a day. And certainly when you're asleep, you can't think about it. But you can 
set some tone, set some intention, set some good habits with your breathing to be more efficient so that your body is more efficient in the way it delivers oxygen and where it uses carbon dioxide buildup. But also when we're able to be more efficient with our breathing, there's just less overall stress or work for the body to do. And you can choose to do something with your inhale, your exhale, or your pause. Um, and it really is, parts of it really are um, that simple. That doesn't take into account the mechanics of how we breathe, but, you know, those things go, they do They do link together and go hand in hand. Um, apologies, I've just spoken for about seven minutes. When you <laughs> no ask worries. Me, in a snapshot, I, what do you do? <laughs> no, I love that kind of passion. I mean, it's... It's something when I looked at your site, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, breathing, it's great because you can do box breathing to get sort of calm when you're stressed. And, you know, yeah, I mean, we probably like brace better. We breathe like 3D rather than just try to hold our breath when we're, say, like powerlifting or whatever. But when you really get into it, you know, like your site, you talk about like breaking down um, CO, like dealing with CO2 better. You talk about how to prep better, how it works, your brain, your biochemistry. And you're like, whoa, there is actually a ton of stuff here. Why do you think like it's not really sort of taught? You know, why is this kind of like a secret formula that some athletes and coaches do? rather yeah. than it being widespread yeah I, th- I think it i think it will become widespread and is and is becoming more widespread like i've done quite a bit of work in gone back into rugby just purely had some people that, that i know that are still involved in like the sort of professional rugby realm and then some more endurance sports like um like triathlon and, and ironman um and then also there are sports where it's a bit more uh, so mixed martial arts, boxing, stuff like that, where they are, um, particularly in that UFC fighters and that they're, they're aware that breathing has a huge impact. And I think it's, I've never done, I mean, I've never punched anyone in my life, so I'd, I'd be absolutely petrified to go inside the kind of but I have done a little bit of work with some, some fighters. And one thing that they... Um, and we all know this about the breath, even if we don't realize we know about it. Because I think it's, I feel like it's um, intuitively built into us as a bit of a safety mechanism. It's like your brain looks out for certain things. If you see someone like panting, like <laughs> you know there's something not right with them, like they've lost their breath. And, you know, if you saw someone that was breathing like that and they'd not, you know, they not just, uh, they weren't wearing their like within training gear or cycling gear or whatever. And you're like, what is the matter with you? Are you okay? Like what's happened? You, you just know that is a sign of, of distress. And that is a sign of like, this person is struggling. And when they're, when the fighters are in the ring, as soon as they see the opposition or their opponent, sorry, lose their breath and go to that mouth panting, they know it's game over. And you too, as the as that person, know it's game over. So you feel yourself lose your breath and get to fast panting through the mouth. You also know it's game over, and you're just like trying not to now get knocked out, whilst you know the other guy knows it's knockout time. Um, and that's not to do with I. But that's that's I think that's more of a an intuitive sort of nervous system type of thing that we just 
we know that from looking from a perspective of trying to look out for safety um and and, and you speak to anyone in the fighting game and they they know that they know that for sure I mean, because you do have like a you've got a great video there where you were I think it's the Manchester top team you're in scene and you know you're kind of explaining to them about how a lot of them like are, they're probably all used to sort of holding their breath when they throw punches or going balls to the wall yeah, you know yeah, yeah. and are burning out through like anxiety and even just like some basic kind of stuff you can see how it improves like sort of a performance, you know, and kind of getting them to calm and to kind of hold their breath and how it affects their cognitive behavior. And like, I think it was when you were like getting them to count steps when they were getting fatigued and how that affected if they held their breath of how many, how much they could yeah, remember yeah. compared to, you know, and it was like, whoa, you know, this kind of really hits on like, I'll try, I'll add it into the show notes. I don't want to spoil yeah. it for people. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, it was just kind of like, well, I do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Ah, and I was right amazed now. at like the the ability for people who would come in and go, yeah, yeah, I'm super fit. I run marathons, but jujitsu is a completely different uh, kind of cardio challenge. So is jujitsu, um, MMA, so is boxing, all these sorts of things. And that's what I was kind of interested in was like how we can use our breath control to fix yeah. that. But why do people think like you know that they can't change their breath control? You know that it's up, oh, it's automatic. Can't do anything about it. It just happens. How do you even start working yeah. with somebody to realize it can be adapted? It can be changed. Um, I guess uh, <laughs> interesting. A lot of the people that I end up working with, you can imagine they they want to work with you because they appreciate that it can do something. So you're not having to to fight that. But occasionally, when you're working with a team. There might be a number of people within that team that are on board, but then there'll be some other people that are skeptical for sure. Um, so I would, I would literally, um, I'll try to explain a few things in the very, 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 very simply. If you go, well, what do you breathe in? What do you need to? What do you? What does your body need? What's it asking for? Like it needs oxygen. It needs air. And you go, well, how about I help you get it in more efficiently? Would that be good? And it's like, oh, yeah. It's difficult to argue with that very, very simple statement. Like when you're taking air in, does it feel nicer when we do it like this? And it's like, yeah. And then we might play around with some breath holds where we're getting a lot of buildup of CO2 and that stimulus to breathe gets really strong. And then we teach you some techniques to be able to overcome that a little bit more different or, or, or look at ways to make it harder or make it easier. So we effectively like have some opportunity to play with the breath and play with or feelings of what CO2 in the body feels like and how we can manage airflow better and go, did it, how did it feel like this compared to this? And it's like, oh, wow, that was, it's probably one of the best things I've done actually with a, with a group of rugby players and where one of there's a massive, massive uh, dude who was like a bit, you could tell he was a bit skeptical, but he was, he was game to doing it, but he was a bit skeptical. And we did something and he was just like, shit man <laughs> like this is actually like do you know what I mean you could see it was like he felt it he'd done it there's some really nice stuff around um just using if you we appreciate that our our lungs are housed by the ribs and your rib cage needs to expand in order for you to increase the volume inside your thorax and we look at we talk about this uh, the ribs being connected into the spine and then your shoulder blade being sat on your rib cage and we can go well we can influence your how you breathe will influence the position of your rib cage. Will influence how much your ribs can expand, can mobilize, can um, can articulate, which will affect 
your shoulder blade because it sat on your, your rib cage and will affect your spine because it's connected, the ribs are connected into the spine. And we can do a few breathing techniques where we just use, we use the breath and use moving those ribs with the breath to, to help mobilize around the spine and the shoulders. And it's like people are gay. You can gain some immediate range of motion. Um, your respiratory center, um, you know, in your brainstem, you've got the, uh, the pons, medulla, and midbrain and how we breathe, uh, well, we can do some like forceful inhalations and exhalations, which will excite those different parts of the brainstem that will elicit an increase in flexor or extensor tone. So we can use the breath from a neurology perspective to get some changes in range of motion sort of more globally with the body as well. Um, and when you get someone to just do something that takes like two breaths, say, and then they like all of a sudden, I don't know, their shoulder internal rotation has, has changed massively or their the thoracic rotation has changed massively. It's like, oh, this is doing so. Like, if, if you can get someone to feel a change, then that's how that's how I, t- when I'm talking about coaching and mentoring other coaches in these sort of areas, I'm, that's the thing I'm talking about. Like, what can we do to make them feel a difference sort of in a very short space of time to get that buy-in? Ultimately, we've got these little things and, and, and quick wins that we get but ultimately, when we're thinking about improving someone's efficiency and improving someone's ability to downregulate, uh, looking at improving someone's just like foundations of, of breathing and their, their very importantly, their tolerance or sensitivity to carbon dioxide, which is the, the primary thing that the brain, that respiration to the brainstem is monitoring um, as the primary stimulus to breathe because of the, the effect the CO2 has on the, on the pH of the blood that that is going to take a little bit of a longer term, but getting the buy-in in the short term allows us then to keep them on board and, and work on through these things. There's also some recovery stuff like we talk about that post-down regulation stuff where we'll, you know, take a very simple marker like respiratory rate, what someone, how is someone breathing in terms of the pace and cadence that they're breathing at, and then just talk them and guide them through some down regulation breathing and just see an effect that has on bringing their whole system down and bringing the respiratory rate and heart rate down. And also then how do you feel and what's the level of saliva like in the mouth and just giving them some markers to be able to go. Yeah, I feel a bit different. I feel more relaxed or I feel however it is that they feel. And then they've got some other markers to tag onto that. Oh yeah, I can, I can feel loads more saliva in my mouth. Like what's that about? And then, well, you know, it's linked to the, the, the rest digest response um you're 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 shifting towards more of a, a relaxation or parasympathetic state and um i feel like at the moment a lot of within the sporting context because we can talk about you know managing stress and anxiety and that type of stuff as well um which i have some experience in but from a sporting context it feels like the people are People are quite keen at the moment to talk about the nervous system. Not that they didn't used to in the past, but I, f- I hear that a lot sort of more that maybe it's just the circles that I'm in, but yeah, the sort of talking about nervous system and yeah, down regulate and recovery and parasympathetic. People seem to be quite on board. That's, that's quite trendy at the moment, if it's possible for the nervous system to be trendy. It's definitely like it's a kind of chase of the buzzwords, isn't it? You know, you, you know, it's they tell you like use this for a keyword, use that for a keyword, and you're like, well, oh, yeah, no, you I'd rather talk that, about get that on the Google, get that in the get that in the title, nervous system. <laughs> I mean, because that's something I have noticed. It's like you know, you say to somebody, it's like you know, sit up because you're affecting your breathing, and you'll say to somebody, do this, do that. 
because if you're stressed, you know, like count your breaths and it'll calm you down. And people go, yeah, okay. I, was this was something that was kind of taught to you when you were in rugby? Did you like what uh, was no, the kind no. of? That's what I was going to say. Actually, when you, you asked a good question, you you were sorry, I'm, I'm I, I, I tend to go a bit off course. Yeah, no, you you were saying about like, did we? Why aren't we teaching this? Or I've actually working with a company that go into schools and and work on like use movement as a way to help um, kids with mental health. And one of the things that um, we talk about all the time is like, why are we not teaching kids some of these very, very simple, basic, like, you know, mechanics of breathing, understanding a little bit of like cadence or the biochemistry of it. We don't have to explain it to them complicated. I've got this one. So I've devised some exercise, six different exercises for them. That's um, that the, the teacher is able to take these and, and do them with the kids. And they didn't, they've got these different, um, they've got like a parkour one. They've got, running one they've got that different various different ways of movement that allows them to engage with um just understanding themselves better and this is like primary school kids and a little bit of like mental like being positive about mental health and um, they didn't have anyone doing breath and i was like oh, but i'd love to to be involved in that anyway one of the exercises um is called ninja breathing i was doing it with a nephew at the weekend where it's like being quiet as a ninja you got to be quiet as a ninja and then like we're doing it and it's like but I can hear you, like, if you're breathing, if I can hear you breathing, like, you're not being a ninja. Ninjas, I said to him, one of the first things in ninja school that we get taught is we have to breathe silently. Then we move silently. And that just instantly, it was like, right, close your mouth and breathe silently. Because when you breathe silently, you breathe slowly. And now he doesn't care whether he's breathing slowly or not. It's like, he just wants to be a ninja. Um, and that in itself is just we can in our day-to-day lives close our mouth put our tongue to the roof of the mouth and breathe quietly or silently in and out through the nose that will be life-changing for tons of thousands of millions of people probably um so yeah what uh, why is it not when i was playing rugby no the, the 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 only the closest thing we got to any sort of coaching on um breathing was you know fitness session you're absolutely like body language being important you know show good body language don't have your hands on your on your knees and that type of thing and you know it would be like put your hands on your, your uh, on your head and like take some big breaths in uh, that would be as, as close as we got to any sort of advice on breathing because no one was no one was aware of it no one was um no one was looking at it and when i go into say like a rugby club now it's still it's it's still coming across as something that's pretty new, even though some of the research has been going on for, you know, 20, 25 years and, and, and some even more. Um, there's more research happening now in um, in sports, you know, that you mentioned about like the breath holding with um, the boxers. There's like a, some nice breath holding studies been done in like 2018 in rugby, like for repeat sprintability, just increase, having an increase in, repeat sprintability test in four weeks uh, by a factor of 10. So like two groups, one improved by a, like a um, some one, one, one group improved, one group that was allowed to breathe normally. Um, they did a four week trial. They were allowed to breathe normally during a 40 meter sprint um, and they improved by 6%. And they were like, well, that's like a normal improvement you'd expect because we did some training. Uh, well, the group that were told to hold their breath after an exhale and did the exact same training, but just holding their breath after the exhale, 
So having a greater buildup of, of CO2 and, a, and, a, and a, a greater drop in oxygen, so more hypoxia and more hypercapnia, they increase by 60%, a factor of 10 greater in a four-week study. And all they did was hold their breath. Um, that was um, Waron's 2018 paper. They've done a, they've done a similar one in, in basketball. So they start to replicate and get similar results of replicating in different sports with like different, they didn't, in basketball, they weren't doing 40 meter sprints. They were doing like a multi change of direction, um, like short sprints. Um, but getting similar results from just, um, from just holding the breath. So that's one technique that's sort of, that's outside of like our normal day-to-day breathing, but it's utilizing understanding the physiology of what's going on with our with our body when we're doing something like a repeat sprint and understanding how the breath or not breathing holding the breath could give us some greater results from doing exactly the same activity Sorry, my mic had decided to go into some there for some reason. Because um, it's certainly come up into other chats I've had where, you know, we've been speaking to um, like Josh Settledge and he was saying, telling a story about how Mark Bell came in while he worked with him, didn't speak to anybody, just sort of nodded his head and he went up and said, you know, you've been a bit quiet, what's up? And it turned out he had had the tape across the mouth and he was just <laughs> using nasal breathing. And he was like, oh, and he said, it helped them stop, um, Josh said it helped them stop snoring. They go in and they'll do rounds at jiu-jitsu with the tape across the mouth because they want to learn to breathe properly. And I've noticed since I've been watching a lot of your videos, how noisy a lot of people breathe, how a lot of people are breathing out their mouth when they're tired. And I see them like shallow breathing. I see them try to, you know, oh, I just oh, I need to get my breath back. Okay. And they go, <laughs> you know, like they take that deep breath and you're like, that's not really helping you know and it's like you you feel like you're into this sort of secret code like when you when you find out these sorts of things and i know it's just the tip of the iceberg and i'm like this is amazing and you know it's like some sort of secret password you've been given but what if you had to break it sort of down are there sort of key factors yeah. like yeah, posture and all that that definitely. like affect our breathing yeah definitely and it's not i don't want um i know i guess sometimes it can probably and i hope i try I hope I, I try to not make it seem like any sort of like mystical, magical thing because it's, it's, it's just our breath. It's just something that we're all doing. And it's just understanding a few simple things that are um, going to allow us to understand how we can use it to our better um, capabilities. And I think one thing to understand is just because it's automatic doesn't mean it's optimal. A good phrase. I've not said that before. Write that one down. And just because, <laughs> I'm going to say, just because it's automatic doesn't mean it's optimal. And um, and then there was another one. Oh, just because, just because it's the brain. Or not good. We have to remember that the brain will always go for the path of least resistance. Mm. What's easiest, and that doesn't mean it's most efficient. So the path of least resistance when we're talking about airflow coming in and out of you know. The air can only come in out of a couple of different holes in your face. <laughs> it's got your mouth or your nose. You're not breathing through your eyeballs or your ears. So your mouth is going to provide a lot less resistance than your nose. So we have to appreciate that the brain is going to opt for that in terms of ease of airflow. And then we have to be having an appreciation of that. When I go to nasal breathing, 
And also, depending on if you're doing something like jujitsu, you might be had your nose smashed across your face and you've got deviated septum. We've got these types of things to deal with as well. But the nose is going to provide about 50% more resistance. Now, when we're used to using the nose, the nose is well conditioned or has never been deconditioned. You know, we should be breathing through the nose. There's 30 different functions of the nose that shows it's designed for breathing, none of which the mouth has. The mouth is designed for eating, talking. Um, I've said to before, like, to people, well, you know, if the nose isn't for breathing, what the hell is it for? And they'll go, smelling. And I'm like, smelling, really? Smelling isn't life and death. Like, you wouldn't have prime real estate right in the middle of your face just for just for smelling. Um, there's the filtration system in it, um, nitric oxide in it. It's a vasodilator, antiviral. That resistance slows down our breath, which helps with oxygen uptake into the blood, helps with... Um, oxygen delivery from the blood into the tissue. So we have to understand that there's, there's, there's how we get it into the lungs, stage one, how it gets from the lungs into the blood, stage two, and how it gets from the blood into the tissue. And I'm not trying to make this any more complicated than it is. It's just those three things paired up with understanding that being automatic doesn't mean it's optimal and that the brain will always go for the path of least resistance. We can just start to understand that, well, how I get it in Rather than getting it in shallowly, is that the right word? But you know, rather than being an upper chest where air isn't getting to the lower portion of the lungs, that's going to be inefficient. Why? Because gravity pulls blood to the bottom of your lungs. Yeah, the, and by design, because of that, you have the greatest density of alveoli at the bottom portion of the lungs. It's like, oh, well, that makes sense. I need to breathe deeper, and deeper meaning breathing lower down, not necessarily just bigger. Um, so depth, I need, to be able to, I need to get air into the lower portions. That's going to come from uh, the diaphragm being the like, main driver of our, of our breathing and good rib articulation. You already mentioned what you mentioned earlier, looking at breathing from lower down and breathing three-dimensional rising sort of shallow vertebrae. And then um, when we breathe through the nose, some of that nitric oxide is going to help with oxygen uptake um, into the blood. It helps the blood vessels dilate. And then the speed at which we're breathing at, if we can breathe slightly slower and allow CO2 to build up, that's important because carbon dioxide increases um, uh, circulation by letting blood vessels dilate. And really importantly, carbon dioxide is the catalyst that allows oxygen to be released from red blood cells so that it can actually get into tissues where it needs to be. Now, um, within, um, within all of that, We've also sort of need to um, just layer in that if I'm struggling, oh, sorry, the, the other thing to add into that, that's what I was going to say about efficiency, is the speed at which you breathe is also plays an effect on your efficiency in terms of the amount of air that you're getting in rather than in one breath in like a breathing cycle of like just take a respiratory rate of like a minute. That Every breath that we take, it sounds like a song, doesn't it? Every breath you take, um, you lose it about a Yeah, it is, isn't it? I just, uh, so um, I'll be watching, I'll be watching yeah, yeah, yeah. your... Um, I'll be watching you sleeping now. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, you lose, so every breath you take, you lose about 150 millilitres of air in dead space. So if I breathe fast, panting, <laughs> not only are there, that's not deep, so it's not getting air low down, it's staying high up, so transfer is affected. It's 
Um, it's not very big either, so the total volume of each of those breaths is quite small. And the speed at which it is means every breath you're taking there lose you those 150 milliliters of air getting lost in dead space keep adding up. Whereas if I can take a bigger, so a larger volume and slower breath, and proportionally as I slow it down, that breath gets bigger, the total amount of usable air coming into my lungs across a minute or across a set period of time increases. And the slower breath allows me a better chance to actually get the air deeper into lower portions of the lungs that helps with that oxygen transfer into the blood. And that slower is going to allow for a little bit of CO2 buildup to allow oxygen to be released. So I'm ticking all of that stuff I've just said. I'm just ticking boxes by actually taking some larger, slower breaths being driven from the diaphragm. Now, typically, when we breathe with the nose, it helps us to connect to the diaphragm a bit more because the nose provides a bit more resistance. There are times when people can't manage the airflow through their nose and it becomes too stressful. They can't get enough air in. It's too slow. And we've got some options. One is fight against it and actually build up your ability to, to do that, hone your efficiency and improve your carbon dioxide tolerance, which some of it will be doing this and some of it will be some breath holding, some of it will be some breathing light practice away from training. But in the instance when it's getting too much is we can switch to mouth breathing, but just try to understand all those things we just mentioned, but just use your mouth to do it. So. The problem with the mouth breathing is when we allow the mouth just to be wide open with very little resistance, it goes to that shallow, fast breathing, which we described as being inefficient for a number of different factors. Mm. Just make the mouth smaller and try to still provide some resistance, but that you can manage that allows you to drive with the diaphragm air low down and allows you to take those larger, slower breaths. And, you know, when we're talking about, managing airflow and you're breathing for improving exercise performance like that's the key in the uh, simple things that we can do can you drive air flow in and manage airflow in through from the diaphragm driving it low down can we take larger slower breaths and some of those rib mobilizations i was mentioning about before that will help those ribs widen a little bit easier and come together a little bit easier to actually increase a little bit that long capacity potential um alongside that so it's stuff we can layer in and build this on top but essentially when you're not training breathe through your nose quietly like a ninja and when then you are manage that airflow breathe with your diaphragm from low down but take larger slower breaths to stay in control it's time for a quick break there are millions of potential products to buy so how do you know which ones are worth your hard-earned money simple you go to nextlevelguy.com affiliates and explore those that will transform and improve your life. You'll find deals, listener exclusives, and special offers with some great companies. Recommendations are 100% honest and only on items Ian has tried or believes in. The companies showcased will make you a better man in all areas of your life. Simply go to nextlevelguy.com affiliates and level up. No, it certainly makes a lot of sense, and it's it's quite amazing. How... It's not complicated, really. When you yeah. when you hopefully it doesn't come across like it isn't complicated when you break it down like that. Because it's when you actually think about it, you know, and you see people like who maybe done their first five k run, and they're like, like you're saying, they're bent over, and they're like, <gasps> like try to catch it with the mouth open, you know. And you, you then never you catch say, your breath like that, and uh, like it's like we almost know. And I like what you said. If you go, 
Yeah, it seems quite obvious, doesn't it? Like, and I think that's the job of us people, those of us that are trying to, you know, coach and bring this element of breathing into sort of whether it is in the sporting world or whatever world it's meant to, we're trying to reach into that the reaction should be like, should be exactly as you did, I, I hope, of just like, we well, are yeah, actually just sort of makes logical sense because it should make logical sense. It's, it's, it's something that we just, ultimately, it's something we've got to do. <laughs> You've got to breathe. Why not do it a little bit better? But I mean, see, that's part of, I suppose that's part of the thing. It is like people come out of the womb breathing perfectly or, well, hopefully, if they're sort of like a healthy baby at the time. But we kind of all, you see people who have got like hunched over shoulders, they've got terrible posture, they've, you know, the guys who go and work out just the disco muscles in the gym. So they've, we've all been there. <laughs> so, you know, so they've got they've got like a bad setup, and you see people like, especially now working from home, a bit of posture, and a lot of people's gone gone to shit. Basically, what kind of physical kind of problems are you seeing with, like, what affects it? Is it like bad posture, and how how is a bad posture affecting it? Is it our diets? Is it our lack of getting out into the sun oh. to kind of you know what's causing this kind of like anxiety bad breathing straight like what are you seeing clients coming to you with in a range of problems i mean i know it's a bit of a big question yeah, and, it is, and, it, and it's and it'd be completely disrespectful of of everybody's human body to suggest it's one thing and it's not one thing but there's there are a few things that could be all interplaying together and hopefully this can sort of also again like sort of look rationally make sense that um you know, just even just one thing of like part of the stress response is the mouth panting breathing. Part of the stress response, what do you do when you're stressed? You don't lie on the floor with your arms wide open in a very, you know, an open posture. What do you do when someone's, when what's the, what's part of the stress response? Part of the stress response is the rounded shoulders, like closing in flexion patterns, basically to protect vital organs. So just when someone's in a, like what's driving poor posture, is it, is it, is it a lot of time seated? Yeah, I'm sure seated, being seated is playing into that, but what about the level of stress that people are under from just not having, just not being able to manage their nervous system, not being able to manage their own diaries or not being able to manage their workloads or not, you know, there's a whole range of things that are making people more stressed. The news, like, you know, the media like there's loads of things that make us more stressed when someone is more stressed they will have more tension in and flexor tone in the body that's just like part of the stress response now that will impact our breathing the same way a lot of times seated will impact our breathing because when you're when you're sat down and particularly when you're stressed you're going to be hunched over um like what's causing like ultimately what's causing those length tension relationships within the within the body to be upset the brain the brain is in charge of how much flexor and extensor tone you have around any of your joints there's nothing there's nothing else that's creating that tension um well as far as we're aware like it, you know, it's your brain firing neurons that's making muscles contract um so when we're seated like it can affect our breathing in terms of um we're not we're not giving us that we're not sat in a nice upright posture where we've got ease of movement of the ribs in particular those lower ribs where the diaphragm is situated and so the brain is very clever it's far cleverer than we are 
Um, it doesn't just let just because breathing is compromised doesn't mean it doesn't let you die. It just does goes to that upper chest. It will just lift the ribcage up. So we're getting a lot of people with like tight neck, tight shoulders, and um, uh, maybe problems with the neck. They'll have um, uh, uh, headaches from some of that tightness in the neck coming up. Um, the breathing poorly during the day will affect how well they can switch off and sleep at night. They'll be snoring at night because they're breathing poorly during the day. Um, and then that sleep then just has a huge effect on then how you feel the next day. And it starts that, that sort of cascade of events just goes on again, um, the next day. And if you haven't got, if you haven't got any sort of, tools within your toolbox to help you manage to help you one not i was going to say help you manage your stress but before that if you haven't got any tools to help you be aware of your body's like how's your body actually doing how do you feel that's like quite a difficult question to answer for a lot of people and it certainly was um years ago for me like how do you feel like i don't know I feel all right like i don't know <laughs> like because before when i played rugby for however many years it was like how do you feel? It, that was purely based on like, how was training yesterday? How basically fucked am I? And am I going to be all right for the weekend? Because that's when the game is. And then, so when you've stopped playing a game like that, and it's just more like, how how are you? How How is your body feeling? How is your mind? Like, I don't know. But something that I found personally helpful is that your breathing being linked in with your heart rate, your blood pressure, your nervous system, your breathing, if you're breathing is a little bit faster, a little bit heavier, a little bit noisy. Like you said, you're noticing people's, that's just, that's a sign that your body's working harder. And, and that makes rational sense. And my body's working harder. But what if it, what if it's working harder, but I'm just sat down in front of my computer doing no physical activity, but I'm stressed. Like I can start to now hear my breathing and use that as a bit of an awareness piece. And then practice some of the tech, very simple techniques to, to, to take control of that breath and try to try to slow it down, try to do, try to breathe a little less rather than more to allow your body to be more efficient with what air you are breathing in so that it can be calmer so that it can work less at that vital first level foundation of being alive is you need to get air in. And if you can get it in, a little bit more efficiently, the body is going to be able to do less of it and therefore there be calmer. And then you have more scope to take on external stresses um, that life is just going to throw at you um, because they're always going to come. You can't really change them, but what we can change is how we respond to them. And how we respond to them is one thing, but what's our level of almost like calmness or readiness to deal with additional stresses that's also something that's in our control before we look at how we actually respond. I love it. I love how we like you think, you know, oh, it's because of the work, it's because of this, and it's actually can all be kind of really related down to something we we think is automatic. You know, it's like we breathe in, we breathe out. How you're holding your breath, what you're dealing with, like you're dealing with the waste in, sorry, the waste out, how you're dealing with the quality of the oxygen in. So you've said in another interview that you know, we need to pay attention and listen to how our breathing responds to the increase in CO2 produced and the demand for oxygen. What are we looking for in these things? How are we, How can we gauge the sort of the quality of the air we're getting in and the CO2 produced? You know, you, you mentioned there's a video where you talk about the, the BOLT score, yeah. for instance. Yeah, that's a little simple test, yeah. 
how can we sort of analyze our breathing and kind of know like what are we looking for in terms of good bad you know like what would i say a beginner athlete yeah. that's thinking okay i can definitely improve here what, yeah. what would you want them to start doing as their sort of tests yeah uh there's probably like three simple things that we could do um one would be the bolt squats come to that sort of last because it's probably the most they're all simple the most complicated out of the simplest um first like mechanics like how are you what, what's moving within your body we have to appreciate that something's got to move to increase volume into deep which decreases pressure that gets air in like how are you what's moving within your body to make that air come in and out and you know there's some simple very simple like high low tests in terms of putting one hand high one hand low and just noticing what parts of your body is your chest moving more is or is your lower sort of ribs moving more um, appreciating that the diaphragm is not in the upper chest the diaphragm is in the uh, connect to the bottom of that um, rib cage um, and then or you know we can also then go to take the hands onto the outside of those lower ribs and, and can you feel some lateral expansion can you look at yourself in the mirror whilst you do that and can you visually see your shoulders and upper chest raising or are at rest are they quite calm and are you able to expand uh, but a little bit more laterally and, and three-dimensionally from from lower down so mechanically trying to breathe more lateral and three-dimensional rather than just vertical and it coming from lower down those lower portions of of the ribs uh, that'd be something that you could feel with your own hands and look at uh, video yourself or just look in the mirror as you're breathing to get some visual cues on that um so that's the mechanics two other then ones would be um, the bolt score and your respiratory rate so your respiratory rate is going to be how many breaths you take in a minute I like to time 30 seconds, count how many breaths you take, in and out is one breath, and then you can multiply that by two or, or double it, up to you. <laughs> That's a joke. Um, and uh, um, and uh, people sit, when you do that with a group, I appreciate we're just doing this with one person, uh, when you do that in a group, people, for some reason, people, I don't think it's that funny, but I said it once, almost by mistake, and everyone thought it was dead funny, so I just use it all the time now. But anyway, um, you, 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 you multiply it by two and you get your respiratory rate for a minute. That's telling us, like, what's the current cadence speed that your respiratory center is, like, triggering you to breathe? It will dictate, the respiratory center will dictate the speed at which you breathe, like that rate, and also the size of the breath. Um, and linked into that is going to be our carbon dioxide tolerance which the bolt score will give us a measure of do it just before I finish on the respiratory rate the respiratory rate um obviously the faster you're breathing the more inefficient you're being being able to breathe less is a sign of being more efficient and being calmer we want that respiratory rate at rest to be about 10 to 12 now when you ask someone to count their breaths and focus on their breathing they automatically slow it down. Even though we're saying during that one, it's like, just observe your breathing. Don't slow it down. Don't mess with it. Just just count your breaths. Just by counting, you automatically slow it down. So if you were, you know, you did that and you were at 16, it might be more like you're at 17 or 18. And, you know, if you're at eight, great. You're doing a, you're doing a great job. You're like under 10. We want people around about 10 um, as a sign of just like a, a good, steady cadence. Um, the... The BOLT score, which stands for Body Oxygen Level Test, um, you know, your oxygen uptake being dictated by um, carbon dioxide within the body. And it's 
carbon dioxide levels rising that's the primary stimulus for the chemoreceptors that are situated in your brainstem to trigger breathing and this happens so if you think of like if you take a breath in and a breath out just pause after that breath out there's going to be a certain time frame during that pause where you're going to get the urge to breathe it's an automatic urge that's when the chemoreceptors in your brainstem have said have said have noticed carbon dioxide levels rising to the point where it feels the ph is getting affected because it makes the blood more acidic and you need to breathe to get the co2 out and then get some more oxygen in the time frame of that pause that you're able to comfortably do without um so it's a normal breath in a normal breath out for the nose which should be light soft and quiet in out and then pause and without using any willpower as soon as you get the first definite desire to breathe in you breathe in and breathing should be normal you shouldn't be <laughs> out of breath breathing should be normal because um you've not been using any willpower We're just seeing what is your relaxed state of automatic stimulus to breathe coming to and you know shock, surprisingly for a lot of people that can be like less than 10 seconds and we want it to be like 25 seconds and above in all the research that's been done on these types of in buteco they call it the control pause in a lot in, in oxygen advances we call it the bolt score that's what patrick mckeon called it um in some of the research they'll call it um just literally call it a relaxed breath hold after an exhale it's a really exciting name but um <laughs> they'll 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 take people and if someone is 25 seconds and above they're like highly likely that you've got a good tolerance to carbon dioxide and good breathing mechanics because those things go hand in hand together. Whereas if someone's below 25 seconds, they'll have some level of um, sensitivity to carbon dioxide and uh, potential patterns for dysfunctional breathing. It's, it is amazing like that something that we, that can affect so much of our personality that can, you know, can make us a better athlete, happier healthier etc it's something we don't even focus on and we <laughs> barely know anything like you see people walking up can barely go up like a steep hill without getting out of breath because of the way they're breathing and you think you know oh, that would never happen to me but we well, let it happen to us all the time yeah but and, and, and this is one of the like and honestly because i've been through this right so when i um sorry i'm jumping it but just when i i i read I read the, I got put into the Oxford I read it and it's like explaining all this detail about the benefits of nasal breathing and, and breathing better. And I'm like, right, I need like my, uh, my bolt score was like nine seconds. I was like, um, this isn't good. I'm exploring this to help continue my rehabilitation from my brain injury. Um, this is something I need to take seriously. So I'm like, right, going out for a run. I'm going to just breathe through my nose. And I got to the end of my street, which is like 50 meters down the road. And there was like snot just pouring into my face. And I'm like, this yep, is happened to me unbelievable. <laughs> this is miserable. And probably for the first time in my life, and probably the only time in my life, my ego didn't actually win that battle. And like normally, what I would have done would be like, my ego would be like, well, this is rubbish. Like, you're... You know, you're a fit rugby player, Jacko. Like, this must be BS if you can't do it. Um, whereas I was like, I understand and I've, I've, I've appreciated the the rational, like, explanation of, like, the nose is how we're supposed to breathe. I'm on board with that. I can't use mine. I need to, 
I need to retrain myself to be able to do that. And there's some where I live. There's some like um, there's some um, you know some some steep hills and climbs that are you know there's there's one very famous one called Bastard Hill. Um, as you can imagine, that's quite a, it's quite a beast. And like I couldn't walk up that nasal breathing. Now, I literally yesterday. Um, me and Mrs. Jacko, me and the wife, we pulled up um, at Abba Falls in in North Wales, and there was a little run. It feels like a little. I'm training for an ultra marathon, so now I've got to the point where things seem. It's out. It, I described it on the podcast earlier, actually, where someone was like a little run, but it, it feels like a little run now to me because I would never have been able to do this before. But um, I've got to to put it in context. The ultra I'm doing is 135 miles in three days around Anglesey Coastal Path in September, so I've got to be able to run for a very long time. So we did a 15k run yesterday, which in that context is small, and people people that run ultras will be like, "Well, you need to do a lot more work than that, mate." Anyway, so but. 15 it was 15k and it was 700 770 meters to the top of uh, mount drum i think it's called um and we ran up and ran back down well a bit of a mixture of running with a little bit of walking um cause it's pretty steep as you can imagine but up and down 770 meters up and down in two hours and breathing in and out through the nose the whole way completely controlled and like just more than happy like i I would have, if you made, it would feel like punishment to make me breathe with my mouth. It just doesn't feel right now. But that's taken a number of years to get to that point. Um, but it, it, you recover so much faster because you never lose your breath. It feels so much nicer because you're not as stressed. You're not getting into that like stress response of just heavy mouth breathing. Um, the, the system is doing less work. Your heart rate stays much lower. I had an interesting one, if I don't mind me sharing, of the other day, in comparison, like the week before, went for a run with my mate. We ran 10K, so a little bit less, and completely flat. And we did, therefore, run a bit faster pace. But my heart, my average heart rate up and down that mountain 700-meter climb was, I think, 130 beats per minute. Whereas running flat 10K with my mate Yes, we were running a bit faster, so it made a difference. But the big thing was we were talking the whole way around. Talking is exhaling out of the mouth. And I was saying to him, I was like, I've not ran chatting with someone for a while. I'd end up running a lot on my own. And I was like, mate, I can't. I feel like I was like, I want to talk to you because I I want because I enjoy your company. And I'm going, I'm not going to not talk to you. But this is, I'm literally like feel like I'm losing my breath because we're talking because I'm doing this mouth breathing. And I looked at my my um, my heart rate. And I was at like 160 at some points during that run. Um, and my average for that run was like 152 or something. And it was 100% affected by the mouth breathing that was happening because I was talking. But I wanted to talk to my mate, so I was happy to do that. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, it was quite, um, quite surprising because I've not done that for a very long time. Because it really kind of. It- not scared me, but it kind of impressed me. Like when I was watching like uh, some of your videos, and you know, like the the insanity of like I'm going to try nasal breathing. So you decided to run a marathon, you know, like <laughs> with nasal breathing. You know, it's like okay, maybe I'm not that crazy, but I mean, it's like little things like yeah, um, but, yeah but, but wait, just on that, like because everyone gets a bit funny about that sometimes. It's like, how do you run a marathon? Do you run it fast or do you run it very very slow? Yeah, it's like um, I think slow. Oscar. 
Yeah, you're you run slow. You it's don't try to do it faster. You're not sprinting. Now, sprinting, doing 400 metres nasal breathing would probably be pretty tough. Like sprinting for a long time and working at absolute threshold for a long time nasal breathing, that's tough. Running a marathon nasal breathing is easier than running a marathon mouth breathing because you're running very slow, so airflow isn't a problem. It's not difficult, and it's more efficient. Like it would be far harder to. There's one of the problems I had on my marathon was that I just wanted to chat to everybody. Um, it, it helps, and I just like talking to people, as you can tell. Um, and it's managing your breathing whilst you're talking is something that I'm needing to. I need. I need more training partners. So if anyone's out there wants to come, you come, if if you come running with me, when I run with my missus, um, we literally both nasal breathe, so we just don't talk. We may as well be on our own. <laughs> I bet some days it's a relief when I think back to some of my ex-girlfriends. It's like, can we, can we nasal breathe? I mean, there was like a, one of the tips she gave, which was great, was um, it was about how not to breathe with your nose, um, but to actually breathe through your nose. And I was like, what's that mean? And then I tried it while I was going for a wee run, and I was like, ah, it started making sense how it pulled, it pulled everything up and kind of came through. And I was like, right, I get this now. Why, like, why should we? How do we do that? How do we kind of, even if that was something that even just people decided to try now, how can we start working with that concept of, you know, don't breathe with your nose, but we should breathe through the nose, just to kind of get better quality of oxygen in, or like something like that? You know, is there like yeah, a sort of challenges you could set them? Um, well, it's, it's trying to get the movement to be driven from the diaphragm. So if I do that, that's me sucking with my nose. Um, and depending on how challenging the exercise intensity is that I'm doing, I'm going to have that urge to, to breathe like that. But if I, if I am doing that, it's very like, it's still, even though it's through the nose and not through the mouth, it's still like being driven from quite high up, which is going to affect where that air is actually getting to. So if I can drive the breath in coming from the diaphragm moving down and pushing out and feel that around my torso that then allows the nose to be just like the gateway to let the air come in. Um, and that's helping send oxygen into an air into the lower portion of the lungs that we were discussing as being more efficient. Um, like for me, all, all of this, all of this, all of it and, and, and not even just breathing, everything starts with awareness. Um, can you be aware of, how you are currently breathing now can you be aware of how that changes when exercise demands more of your respiratory system because all that's going to happen when you start exercising is the demand for oxygen goes up the the amount of co2 you create goes up and your body's got to deal with it and any dysfunction that's going unnoticed at rest in your automatic breathing gets shown up like that's one of the things I love when I go out running. I never even really used to like running, but running, it's not running that I'm, when I go out for a run, I'm going out and I'm working on my breath. I'm working on myself. And almost every time you go out running, when you go out running or you go out and do an exercise and running is good because it's rhythmical. It could be the same on the bike. Anything that's quite nice and rhythmical that doesn't require an awful lot of, um, like cognitive attention because the skill element of running is is not you know it's not like we're, we're we're doing something too challenging that you have some headspace then to focus on another element that's going on 
And so for me, I focus on my breath and I, I'll, I'll, I'll just note it. You'll notice things. And it's almost like every time there's something a little bit different and can I breathe a bit more into the back and how's my neck feeling or how am I managing that airflow? What happens if I do this? How does that feel? And like, it's just a, an opportunity that you'll feel it an awful lot more when you're running compared to just being sat down at rest. If someone's just listening to this now, sat down nice and relaxed at rest, they might not even barely be able to feel their breathing. And that's a good thing that it's that soft and, and subtle and silent. But when you start exercising, it will show you. Um, and, and that's running. That's what running is for me. Running isn't really running. Running is a chance to, uh, to work on yourself. I love like how much there is just on breathing you know like we haven't even started going into your school yet we haven't started really kind of tackling like leaving rugby and how you coach people you know there's still so much yeah, yeah, to go yeah. in so we've got to do a round two because i mean i'm i'm really interested in this I'm, like i love how passionate and stuff you are but something i was really wanting to get into was you looked into sort of breath work after you had the sort of the the brain injury when you're playing rugby and I mean, I've my brother has had sort of seizures and things like that. So he right. looked into that similar um, sort of situation. How did you find breathing relates to our sort of biochemistry to the brain? You know, because you talk to the the MMA fighters about how concussion affects our breathing. You've mentioned like how does it affect like our ability to go into like flow state to deal with our focus and things like that. How, how are the brain and the, the breathing linked? Um, the, the, uh, I mean, I'm not necessarily like a neurology expert, but I can share the, the bits I've picked up along the way. Um, I know it's probably a podcast on its own, to yeah, be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and there'll be people that can, from a neurology perspective, will be able to give, give more, more depth as well. But there's a few things that I've come across that, like, so when we have a, when I had my brain injury, I had a seizure on the training field as well. So I, I guess, well, I can't remember any of it. Luckily, it's one of those good things that you don't remember it. Um, but the respiratory center that's um, is in the center of the brain, in the brain stem. And when your brain is getting whacked in like a head injury, it's like getting whacked on the inside of the of the skull and like I had bruising from it, like hitting on the, the other side. And, you know, that, that brainstem is what it's sort of like rattling on on in the middle and um that's getting disrupted that's getting affected by the vicious sort of whiplashing movements let's say um and one thing that we um notice is that people will become more sensitive to carbon dioxide and blood flow and oxygen supply to the brain get reduced so carbon dioxide, so like for me that my bolt score was like nine seconds, which was like very low. Um, that being a sign that my brain wasn't happy with anything more than nine seconds before it was like, we need to breathe in. Whereas now it might be more like 25, 30, which is quite a significant difference. And carbon dioxide, um, I mentioned before about circulation and oxygen delivery. Well, that's vital for the brain. The brain will always prioritize itself over everything else because it needs to work. Otherwise, everything else isn't going to work. So how, when we have adequate or, you know, when we have, let's do it, let's, let's talk about the scenario where we've had my, like me having a brain injury and then you um, 
you start being more sensitive to carbon dioxide, so you start breathing faster, and then you start offloading more carbon dioxide, so you become even more sensitive to it. And this, we stay in this vicious cycle until we do something about it. And when CO2 is then, we're offloading more of it, there's less CO2 in the body. When there's less CO2 in the body, blood vessels constrict, and oxygen stays more tightly bound to hemoglobin in red blood cells. So not only is the oxygen not getting as easily released, it's also circulation isn't go, isn't as, as as easy, and and that blood flow to the brain um, after a, a head injury can last for years if nothing's done about it, and that's sort of where um, where I was. And um, how does that affect how we? So you know you've got that whole sort of faster breathing rate and more sensitive to carbon dioxide, which will just affect how efficient you can be with your breathing, and therefore just how much more stress the body is under because it's just working a bit harder to just do that basic um element of breathing but also there's some elements where um like cognition obviously is going to be effective there's less oxygen supply to the brain but then feelings of like stress and anxiety we see that people who are more sensitive to carbon dioxide are more prone to panic attacks and anxiety disorders and they've since found out that um carbon dioxide actually helps soothe the irritability of the conscious centers of the brain so when we are very sensitive to carbon dioxide. We don't have much carbon dioxide in in circulation, and the the irritability is like not calmed. And we have a racing mind, or we have anxious thoughts. And rather than trying to control that, we can try to control those with like you know, control your thoughts with your own thoughts, or cognitive cognitive behavioral therapy, and stuff like that. But we also need to look at how can we approach it from a um, as you said, like a biochemistry perspective, uh, how's that going to affect our breathing? So when we restore better breathing patterns, when we restore sensitivity to carbon dioxide, we get a calming of the mind, if so to speak. Uh, we get an improvement in circulation to the and blood flow to the brain and importantly, oxygen delivery um, as well as our breathing starts to become more efficient. Well, I was blown away by it, like just the videos and now like from your answer. And I know there's a lot of people just now who are going, bloody hell, that's me. That makes so much sense. Yeah. That's affecting me in this way. It's affecting me in that way. So we've really got to do a round two. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I know I've taken up, like we're, we've just sort of touched and started. I've got questions on about recovery and how do we release anxiety, about breath strips, about like sleeping you know there's still so much yeah, to go yeah. into it and you're such a fascinating guy and i know we could like you'll kill it so we've got to do a round two but and you're determined we... to make me a superstar aren't you <laughs> i always love that i mean i love finding people who are <laughs> around like like who go in who can go into a topic that are not just dealing with oh tell me about your book you know and they can just change the name at the top of the interview and i love like really pushing it and finding people kind of going oh my god that that's me that you know and then they go away and it actually changes something about their life it's not just like yeah that was enjoyable oh love islands on tv you know it's like <laughs> something that they can actually use and that's why i love your material it's like this will help people who are sitting at home dealing with anxiety it'll help the athlete who's about to go and start prepping and working out to be better it'll affect somebody that's got bad posture and it's wondering like why am i struggling mm. with x um and there's just so much to it and I think that's the thing is we forget this stuff can't be changed. And this is why it's so great to see like, like yourself bringing this out. 
uh, you know, so what's the plan for the evolution of the brand? What do you want to be? I know you're going to be a superstar, and I keep saying it, and it's going to happen. <laughs> um, but what do you want this to be? Like, where do you want to take this? How are you going to link this into with your school? How are you going to link in with this? Um, because we'll give a shout out to that area in a minute. But I've got a whole thing about like how to utilize those kind of movements into your training, etc. But what are you wanting to do with this? How are you going to start coaching this program? How are you going to use um, your programs to shape people? Um, there is no genuinely. There's no. Uh, there is no master plan. Um, I, you know, it was very. I I literally did the instructor training with Patrick McKeown, who's the you know the author of the Oxford Fancy, he's been like pushing the. Uh, the world of breathing for the last sort of like 20, 25 years, delving into all the research and developing the framework that, that us, uh, that we, that we sort of work from. So there's just yeah, huge, massive kudos, respect and love um, to him. And I, yeah, I, I did the training to become a coach, not to become a coach, just to understand it better, just so I could basically like help myself, uh, mm-hmm. not in a selfish way, but just in a, it was part of me exploring that sort of, rehabilitation from a brain injury um it was just as you described then like how much it impacts us and how much it can impact there's a little bit of something for everyone is almost what you described and that's how i feel and so because everyone is breathing and if everyone can do it a little bit better and if i can play a little role in helping some people be able to do that um then then it's just a privilege to be able to be to be part of that i love working with other coaches um so i love like the, the mentoring side of it that i've been doing as well but it's all happened very organically and there isn't really um there isn't well, not there isn't really there isn't i don't have a master plan so i can't really answer um the question um i'd love to see it be sort of a a normal thing in sport i'd love it to be something that we teach kids in school that's just as important as maths and english um and yeah uh i guess that's i can't it's, it's difficult to say um uh too much more than that I'd, I'd like to see like to see more i don't know whether the, i mean there's a lot of people doing whether there'll be more breathing coaches i think it's exciting when people are a you know a voice coach or a dance coach or a yoga teacher or they're they're doing something else and then they they learn about the breathing techniques and the oxygen advantage and then link them into, or there is, you know, they're a massage therapist and it's like, Oh, actually we, let's get hands on with the diaphragm as well as teaching you about the breathing. So I get excited to work with people when they're, when they're sort of collaborating or merging it with some other element that they're already doing, because um, then it gets quite, it can get creative and it can be, you can use the framework. And once we understand the breathing and how it affects our physiology and it affects the body, um then we're finding sort of like new new ways or new new avenues to to go down and explore it same as when we're working in new sport that we haven't worked in before it's an opportunity to try and apply it in a new context which tends to open up uh different sort of doors and avenues to go down because i've seen that i mean you've worked with like some amazing people so athletes of all different kind of sports and things like that and i mean is it the school is it calisthenics or Cal- is it calisthenics? Yeah, school, school of calisthenics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I keep, I think I've been mispronouncing that wrong all day. <laughs> <laughs> Even Brentson. 
in my head, like it's just I keep saying calisthenics, calisthenics, and I don't even know where that's coming from. But I mean, when you did it, you learned a sort of systematic framework to, you know, you use your knowledge of exercise to sort of learn the movements and things like that. And I think that's really interesting as to like when somebody finds out a concept that's maybe left field of what they do, but uh, it can change their life. It's the a way of looking at something. Um, like Jude Hosker has got an amazing book called Crunch Time that anybody can use about yeah. dealing with stress and reframing threats as opportunities and really creating the mindset of a champion. And, you know, like people are like, oh, I can't believe how I can use that book and I'm not an athlete. I can't believe I can do this and that. And it's, I know what you mean. It's like when you can tap in and show them how it can improve them and their natural habitat rather than you can only do this if you're an athlete, you can only do it with this. And I love how you're utilizing it. But what have you learned from all the different sports, the different athletes, the different types, the teams and all these sort of things? Mm -hmm. Have you found a kind of, I don't know, like a similarity in what the perform, the top performers and how they use your training? Um, that's an interesting question. So I was going to say, the more, the more I find out about stuff, particularly thinking like human body stuff, the more I'm just like, feel like you're just like, crikey, we don't flipping know anything. Um, mm. It's like, yeah, the more, the more you come across, the more it's like, oh, there's just so much more out there. Like we'd actually, what, what, what do we actually really know? Um, what, but, but things, what does, I don't know. I think one of the one of the things I was I was always quite big into like the the psych like the sports psychology side of things, particularly in my own rugby, because I found my own career because I found it quite I found parts of it quite um, challenging mentally, and I think that um, that's one of the one of the things I work with a snooker player at the moment, and um, he's he's long said like those of us in the top. 50 or whatever it's like in the in the, in the you know the, the the top guys he goes skill wise like everyone can do with the, can pop anything it's just mentally who can do it on the day and under the under the pressure and sort of understanding what pressure does to us and in performance i think that's what's that's what separates those that are you know really end up standing out regardless of the sport um, that's the mindset of the individuals. Um, and be very privileged to work with a number of Paralympic athletes that will, will bring another whole new dimension to that sort of mindset as, as well. Um, and yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's probably the thing I'd say of what, I'd, regardless of who you're working with is, it's it's mindset. Cause I can't think of a sport, a discipline, an industry where, better breathing isn't going to benefit them yeah, and i think that, yeah. that's it must be amazing to be able to shape and change so many lives did you struggle when you left rugby with you know losing that identity of being the professional athlete and has the kind of working with people like people and going down this rabbit hole into like the oxygen advantage and things like that has that completely changed you do you ever miss the rugby or are you now so into how yeah. deep you can go with this um I mean, I 
I was lucky in that I was towards the end of my rugby career. You know, I was 31. I just signed a new two-year contract, but that was probably going to be my last sort of, my last uh, one. Um, and so I was 31 when that happened back in 2013. Um, so I'd had, a, I'd had a long career. And actually the, the, the main thing was relief when I had to retire. I was, I'd spent, a, uh, I, I had the, the injury in training in August and then saw the specialist in that, that said I needed to retire in in the December. So I'd spent quite a few months trying to get back to to playing, but I was ultimately quite scared of. I was scared of being given the all clear to go and play again because I knew I wasn't right, but I wasn't sort of strong enough or had enough courage to actually put my hand up and just say, "Look, regardless of what anyone says, I know I'm not right. I I, I didn't do that, and I wish. I guess I wish I had it, and I could have saved a bit of heartache." um along the way but um yeah there was, there was a huge amount of relief um for me um and then you know I was very lucky that I've made the recovery I've made like I've made a full recovery seemingly um you know there's some stuff that we won't necessarily know until a bit later in life um but I've done some work with Headway Charity um you know and met a lot of people there that you know, their lives are forever changed and, you know, their personality forever changed and, and, and challenges in just day-to-day life because of their brain injury. So I was very um, lucky and, and, and blessed and ultimately what happened to me has sent me down this route and I couldn't imagine now not doing this or I couldn't imagine it being any other way. Um, so... No, I'm I'm grateful for it, and I don't I don't I don't miss almost like it seems so long ago that I just I can't even imagine playing rugby. Um, I can close my eyes and remember like bits of games and things, and you just the main thing you miss the you miss the lads. That's the everyone says that um, you miss the lads, um, and you know you get bits of that in in potentially other other walks of life. Um, but and like life just moves on, um, whether you like it or not, it just moves on. Like my dad passed away last month. Um, oh, sorry was, to hear that. Yes, yeah, but just to give an example, like and it was, it was, yeah, it was really sad. It was really sad. It, um, you know, and it does that doesn't even seem real now. But saying it out loud probably tries to help me process it a bit. But you know, you you don't want life to go on, or you, but. You, or you want to stop and you and you want to go back or but it just doesn't life just carries on regardless of whatever you want to happen the sun will go mm-hmm. down it will rise again the next day and life just sort of like just drags you along and it keeps dragging you until you sort of can gather your own sort of get back on your own feet and, and get yourself going again and um it's one of the it's one of the beauties um of life you don't actually have to do anything you just have to like you're just part of that process whether you whether you want to be or not um and it was the, and, you know that was what it, whether i wanted to carry on playing rugby or not it wasn't going to happen and so something's going to change and whether i'm kicking and screaming or whatever like tomorrow is going to come and that's that process is going to carry on happening and so um it's almost like yeah. the universe was like kind of pushing you into that situation of a like, this is what you're here for. 
you know, to help yeah. people and, you know, cause you certainly have the passion for it. You certainly have the focus and the, the desire to help and you're changing lives yeah. and it's amazing to see. I mean, I know we're well over our time, so apologies yeah. for taking out your time, but what would you want people to take from this before we can get around to it? What would you want them to sort of look at as in terms of if there was a go-home message or something to take from this interview? Um, <laughs> shut your mouth and breathe through your nose. <laughs> I love it. Breathe That's through your nose it. and breathe quietly. You know, you said that, like, universe, you can sort of call it on to, like, I believe in God, like, and uh, have definitely been directed into this this position and where it goes next you know what tomorrow will bring who knows and where because if i look back 10 years ago i would and you said oh what are you gonna be doing in 10 years i wouldn't be able to tell you this because i didn't even know this existed so <laughs> what i'm gonna be in another 10 years who knows but um hopefully i'll still be breathing and hopefully it will still be through my nose and hopefully it'll still be quiet and you'll still be changing lives i know that for a fact <laughs> And what, how can people keep in touch with you? How can we like sign up for the training? How can we connect with you on social media? How can we find your videos like on the Bolt test and things like that? Um, so probably social media, like Instagram. So my Instagram's uh, jacko.david.jackson. Um, and um, I've got an app come out just recently. Um, there's a free foundations course on that which is pro breathwork so you can go to probreathwork.com or you can um, just search pro breathwork in the app store or in google store and the the foundations course is absolutely free uh, i think it's about six or seven modules to work through some videos and some breathing exercises to follow along gets you sorted with with all you know th there's something there for everyone and um yeah, made it free, wanted to be free because it's, you know, breathing is free and you having the information to be able to do it a little bit more efficiently, I believe should be free as well. Well, that's it for another week. And thank you for listening. It's now time to take what you've learned and use it to develop and enhance your life with the key points mentioned. Listen, try it, embrace it, use it, and crush it. Now's your time to hit that next level in your life. If you liked this episode, then please leave a comment on the show notes or a review of the show on your podcast platform. Everything helps evolve the show. Until next week, keep seeking the next level in your life.